Sequel Quest, Episode 76. A sequel to Field of Dreams. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic adventure to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way, Sequel Quest is go for launch. So let the adventure begin now. If you podcast, they will come. Hey, who said that? If we podcast, who will come? Is this your podcast? It's kind of dumb. Okay, that's it. We're, we're mowing down the cornfield. No, 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 no. Not to build a high-class recording studio so I can find this whispering jerk and punch his lights out. Come and try it. I'll break your thumbs. Feel the dreams, my eye. All right. Welcome to the show. What just happened? <laughs> Well, did you that... spend time writing that? I you know sure it. did. I rehearsed yeah. it for it hours. Is, it's always interesting to see the, the things that Adam takes away from movies. And <laughs> there it is. Yeah. But luckily, coming out of the cornfield tonight, we have some true baseball fans. That's right. Over there in left field, we got shoeless Jeff Campbell Smith. It's good. I like that. I'll take that one. <laughs> It's one of his better ones. I know. It doesn't actually insult me personally. I like that. <laughs> the man who's no stranger to America's pastime, it's Jumpin' Jeremy Hubbard. Huh? All right. That works. And I'm Doc Adam. Tonight, as the Stadium Lights shine, we're happy to call an MVP out of the dugout for a return trip to the podcast plate from our quite popular Mighty Ducks episode. It's Eric! Hello! Wait, I don't get a nickname? Uh, uh, all right. Eastbound and down, Eric? You want that one? <laughs> oh, boy. That's what well, I know about baseball, folks. All right, guys. It, it well, it's been be fun. Said. I'll be seeing you later. Exactly. It should be said in the now legendary Adam Pope film Rake Man, Eric played the unnamed sports fan. So, you know, that's, 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 what he, that's his definitive characteristic. That's true. And uh, kudos to you for the alliteration on all of the nicknames that you came up with. Did what I could. Did what I could. So, Eric, what's going on in the world of baseball these days? Give us a heads up. Uh, you know, to be honest, after the Cubs won, I just stopped caring. <laughs> <laughs> Your life I was could lit. die a happy man. <laughs> I got I got to watch the Cubbies win the World Series with my parents, who have been lifelong Cubs fans, and we cried together. And after that, baseball lost meaning. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're sorry to have you on this podcast after all. Yeah. <laughs> well, but here's the good news, right? You know, is is I thought when I put this on the schedule that I was doing you guys a favor. I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna put a sports movie on here, and Jeremy's gonna be psyched because he does a fantasy sports podcast on the side. You know, Jeff, lifelong sports fan, they're gonna love it. They're gonna have so much to talk about. And then when I sat back and revisited this film, I'm like, this is not a sports movie. <laughs> this is a sports related movie, a film featuring sports, but it actually was recently voted in a poll of best fantasy films and it got number six so i was once again off base 
Pun intended. Well, if you ask me, as a sport fan, as you called it, sports are drama in, in themselves. And so for me, making a sports movie about we're just going to take sport and put it on TV, like th- that doesn't work. Like if you ask me, all great sports movies aren't really about sports. They're about something else with the backdrop of sports. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, this is not a movie about baseball, but it's with the backdrop of baseball. And for me, like, I feel like it really hits the note. Like, I feel like watching this movie could help someone understand, like, what I love about baseball and what one would love about baseball. Now, Eric, Field of Dreams... Is this was this a, a seminal film for you? Growing up, I love sports movies. If you're talking baseball movies, like I, to me, there's two types. There's like what Jeff's saying with the baseball as a backdrop, and then there's like movies like Major League, which mm. to me is a movie about baseball. It's just sure. really bad baseball, <laughs> but it's really funny. Bull Durham, I feel like that one's in the middle, where it's like about baseball, but it's also about the characters and their story. Uh, this one, when I saw it was a baseball movie, I was like all about it because i watched every sports movie you could and then i remember like seeing that and thinking like this isn't about baseball this is like life Uh, stuff and (laughs) i think i was like teenage years when when was this movie yeah 89 89 so i was nine years old so i think i saw it in the theater with my family because this was a type of movie we would have gone to see but i remember liking it but not really knowing what was going on you know like i didn't quite understand it but now looking back like there's a lot of iconic moments in the movie that i still Mm -hmm. think of especially Especially like, you know, the whispering and the you want to have a catch, dad, like that part still gets me. Oh. I'm sure. I'm, oh, I knew Jeff was going to do something. Oh, like that. You know, <laughs> yeah. going to make me messed up right now. Well, Jeremy, what about for you? Because you did your big baseball nut for sure. Was this uh, a film like that your, your family watched a lot or did you seek it out yourself ever? I don't know if we ever sought it out, but it was one that we've I've watched many a time growing up and since like I've got my copy of it over here amongst my DVDs just it hits that drama spot but also gives enough baseball and perspective that allows for little enjoyment now Jeff you're son of an umpire how did you feel about this? Yeah. How did that okay. play into your love of Field of Dreams, which features one umpire? <laughs> as far as we can tell. That That's a hard-hitting question, man. Yeah, exactly. None at all. Um, but it's the interesting thing with this movie is that, for one, like I'm, I'm somebody that likes to give moments the importance that I want them to have. So, for example, opening day for, for baseball is one of my favorite days of the year. And in order to prepare for it, every single year I always watch – it varies, but I always watch at least five movies. Not all on that one day, but you know, leading up to it. And the last one is always Field of Dreams. And Field of Dreams, of all of my baseball movies personally, this one I think is the best – one, it's the best film – Two, like I mentioned before, I feel like it most captures the heart, uh, again, of, of that love for baseball. And it's not just baseball. I mean, you can talk to fans of like hockey that have this and fans of football and everything like that. But with a lot of sports, there is that father-son dynamic that is kind of a big thing. Like For me, especially about baseball, because baseball is so kind of drenched in its own history, 
is that going to a game with your dad and and all of that and so for for me that part of this movie the the father son connection that's what yeah that's what hits me especially hard and i know like there have been plenty of years where as soon as the movie ends i'm bawling down crying picking up the phone and like dad i'm so sorry i want to play catch with you right now and which is the point that's the goal in a certain sense yeah yeah that's interesting yeah i I assumed it would be a big one for you You know obviously for me this is a movie that sat on the shelf of my childhood home for years my dad bought it the only reason i eventually watched it was out of summer boredom one year because i was such a big fan of costner and robin hood prince of thieves i'm like i'll check him out in another movie it's weird because you know growing up i had heard of a lot of costner films you know oh this movie the big chill the untouchables dances with wolves the bodyguard but they were all r-rated movies for old people you know so it wasn't (laughs) until robin hood and Waterworld that i actually went to see one of his films in theaters and then i said i'll give this guy a chance and the fact that we're covering another kevin costner film is interesting because yes if you go back to the archives jeff justin and i did the postman in the early days of the show oh yes we did uh, yeah (laughs) but you know this was also a big one and i i remember a few few things about it growing up like it was definitely an unforgettable film but you know for me it's odd because the poster or in my case the vhs cover told you nothing in my opinion Uh, it's costner posing in front of what i always thought was a full moon but it's actually just a cloudy sky framed by a circle and then you can just barely make out a baseball diamond under his feet and then there's a little bit of corn but i didn't really know what to think when i was watching it when i'm 11 or 12 and then the next thing i know it's this movie and the sandlot are all i know james earl jones from so he's (laughs) forever associated with baseball Baseball wow. to me because you don't get to Darth see him Vader? in Star Wars, but you don't well, see him. Right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like his actual acting on the screen. Yeah. So, so it's like that's almost what I associated most with this film. I was like, oh, it's a James Earl Jones movie, and he's grumpy, and then he's not grumpy. You know, like it's weird. Like that. That's what that's what I always just had over the years. So I didn't watch. I haven't watched it since like 1992 until this last week on VHS when I picked up a copy at the thrift store. So. so Always available. How do you have a VHS? <laughs> well, I shouldn't even ask. You should like, Why ask. is it even a question? <laughs> My preferred way to watch films. That's insanity. That makes no sense. I watched mine this week on Laserdisc. Wow. See, all of you guys, I got Love nothing it. to say. Nothing well, to say. Here, here's a um, question I have, not though. That's true. That is not because, true at all. Jeff, you're also a big Costner fan, and I feel like this was definitely a, a seminal film for Costner. You know, he had done Bull Durham. Basically, people are trying to say, well, you probably don't want to do another movie about baseball. And then he said, yes, I do, because this film isn't about baseball. And so I, I'm more than willing to deal with the bigger themes at play here. Well, OK, hold on. Hold on. Yeah. How many baseball related movies has Costner done? Just off the top of your head. Uh, I got a list. Three, so. I can three right? Three. For yeah. love of the game. Yeah. Feel a dream. Uh, you're all way Durham. off. Ten. What? Yeah. Ten baseball adjacent movies. Yes. So back in 1979, he was in Shagging Flies. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I have now heard of that movie. Right. (laughs) Then he didn't do another baseball movie until Bull Durham in 1988. 1989 was Field of Dreams. Then he went to Deadpool. He tends to play alcoholics a lot sure. yeah he was in a league of their own what what was he no, in a league he of their own 
What did he do? I, don't I have know watched that movie like 30 times. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know about that. He was watching a game in the stands. <laughs> was he a spectator? No. Number 72. Okay, so maybe it's nine movies. Even, because, even still. Yeah, I, don't, information? I don't think this one's right because they're calling him one of the washed up alcoholics. Uh, there was only one, Tom Hanks. What are they talking about? <laughs> yeah, I think they confused him. Yeah. yeah. Tom uh, Hanks and Kevin Costner happens all the time. Bill Pullman, Bill Paxton syndrome. Yeah. That's true. So then he had an ill-fated attempt to make a sequel to his baseball movie, Bull Durham, by calling it Bull Tijuana in 1996. What? what is happening? No. Come on. Is this true? Bull Tijuana? That sounds like a curse word. I don't... <laughs> the Postman. Some, some kind of... What? Like, no, See, again, no. The Postman had no baseball in it. That was a futuristic science fiction movie. Yeah. Uh, this is described as him being in Japan. What? Yeah. That's Mr. Baseball with That's Tom Selleck. That's Mr. Selling. Baseball with Tom Selleck. <laughs> Uh, uh, this you was, make, are you just making ridiculous. things up right now? No, no, no. If I was, okay, I would somebody win. Somebody did. Yeah, uh, Robin Yount, Prince of Brewers. Okay. It's a, it's now, a biopic. this is ridiculous. Come no, on. Robin Yount's a character. So I bet you that's a documentary. Uh, so I yeah. bet you he has been involved in documentaries doing voiceovers. I'll agree with that. Uh, for the love of the game, that one has been mentioned. And the upside of anger. This one is he's a retired baseball player and alcoholic. <laughs> who gets involved with his single mom neighbor uh, retired baseball player uh-huh. so, right. well, well it would have been a great reveal that? in jfk if he was on the grassy knoll and being jfk with a baseball and that was you know <laughs> that would not that a great no trick ending no you have misunderstood the word great um <laughs> But it is that thing about Kevin Costner is that Kevin Costner is, I mean, he was almost a professional baseball player at Cal State Fullerton. He was a star baseball player. So every time they do these pro-am, whatever, like celebrity games, he's always the star of it because he's a great baseball player. So he definitely knows baseball. Well, yeah, that is awesome. I did not know that. Okay. Well, we, we've talked about this. It, essentially, if you look at it, I almost feel like Field of Dreams is about baseball the way Back to the Future is about time travel. It's part of it, but it's not okay. It's not the main focus. It actually plays much more to me like a previous episode of ours, Midnight in Paris. Also go back. You, you can believe we did a Woody Allen film where it's a fantastical gimmick, you know, is used to teach someone a life lesson. Well, is it but, that he's I mean, being taught a lesson? I don't think it is. I think he's, I, for me, the line that changes everything, which again is that thing as I've grown older and the more I've come to appreciate the internal psychological aspects of the movie, for me, the, the, the seminal line in the movie is as James Earl Jones and Kevin Costner are driving back and he's talking about his dad and about he said something horrible and then he left and blah, blah, blah. And then James Earl Jones looks at him and says, this is your penance. And I think that's absolutely correct. That's what this was. This was him mending the fence that he had built, broke. I don't know what the analogy would be, but with his dad. And helping other people along the way. That's his penance. I don't think so. I don't think the other people have anything to do with it. I mean, for me, the entire movie shifts at the end when Shoeless Joe Jackson looks at him and says, if you build it, he will come. It was never talking about Shoeless Joe Jackson. Mm-hmm. If you build it, he will come was talking about his dad. Go the distance was talking about his dad. Ease his pain was talking about his dad. None of it was about all these other people was 
maybe that's the lesson. Like he he kept looking in other places, and the reality is is that it was about him feeling worthy to be able to do it. I guess. I just thought it was about him putting LSD in the corn. Yeah. <laughs> Although he, he 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 got rid of all the corn, so that was the problem. Uh, but so the one now just as a and I've been thinking about this one for years, just to kind of throw out. The, the part that blows my mind at the end of this movie. So, and I, I apologize if I'm derailing, if we were going in a different direction here, but one, for me, the last, I don't know, seven and a half minutes of this movie are, for me, movie poetry. I mean, and I don't, I don't even mean that it is an exaggeration. It starts with the extreme close-up on Doc's face after he saves Karen and then He's just about to walk into the cornfield, and then Joe says, Hey, rookie, you were good, and it does an extreme close-up on his face. Oh, that shot is so beautiful. From that moment on, like, every single shot, every single line, every single delivery, like, all of it is just, is beautiful. And it's just like, I wouldn't change any of it for anything. And the final exchange of information, where Shoeless Joe says, again, if you build it, it will, he will come, looks over, oh my god, it's my father, and then Shoeless Joe starts walking off into the cornfield, and then Ray looks out to Joe and says, it was you, and then Joe turns around and says, no, Ray, it was you. So for, let me just ask you guys, what does that mean to you guys? Saying the voice he was hearing was somewhere inside Ray's head. His well, guilt that's, nagging at him. Well, that's the thought, That's and that's an interesting, well, because then if you watch the credits, it lists, himself, right? Yeah, exactly. It says the voice as himself. Now, does that mean, is that just a joke of like, oh, we're not going to tell you who the voice was? Or is it, it was literally Ray's voice? Well, to this day, they haven't revealed it. So mm. there's, there's a lot of theories about who it could have been. What makes it more interesting to you? Well, and that's where I keep going back and forth. Because for a while there, I took that to mean that it was Ray's voice. But then, in watching the movie again, apparently he literally travels through time to go and meet Doc Graham back in the 70s. True. So that's not something that he could have done. And then it's that also thing is that why it appeared that he had a vision of, at the very beginning of the movie, he has a vision of the field and of Shoeless Joe Jackson. That also doesn't quite make sense. I mean, that would make sense if it was him. So then it's, if it's not himself, if it's Shoeless Joe's voice, that doesn't quite make sense either, because then why would you bring back Shoeless Joe first? Hmm. I don't know. There's just a lot. There's a lot. I keep going back and forth. But the best movies, right? They do that. They leave that ambiguity, things unanswered, and you can just discuss it forever. The thing that I find interesting about this film, and I'm curious to know from you guys, just the other performances in the film are also quite amazing. You know, like Kevin Costner does what he does, but you have Amy Madigan as his wife, Annie, and I think she is fantastic in this film, and they actually wrote her wonderful moments, especially the whole you know book burning scene right Where they're trying to, right. to ban a book and her just whole rallying i mean she's such a spitfire you know just getting out there and after that lady you want to take this outside you know like <laughs> but but that, like it's so interesting because that moment is all about her i mean right. ray gets a little something out of it but it's literally it's like this character moment for her and then i love that the characterization throughout the film is she is supportive 
and she believes in her husband. She's not the nagging wife. She's not the disbeliever. She's maybe a little trepidatious at first, but yeah. even when they're losing the farm, she is a hundred percent behind him. And I think that is just a wonderful, wonderful character and relationship to show in a film that you don't get very often. I feel like I always felt like was it Timothy Busfield, oh, the, the, the so-called villain. He's so horrible. <laughs> I just think he's like milk toasty. I don't know. He doesn't. He's like yeah. I do like his turn though when he can finally see the players and he's like you can't sell this farm Ray but um, <laughs> right. he uh, he t- turned it around when he went in a little big league though so I'll, I'll give him that one. <laughs> he's also in Revenge of the Nerds you didn't love him there that is also a movie that I now know exists how about for you Jeremy is there one character in particular or a moment for you in Field of Dreams the speeches that Terrence James Earl Jones gives during it, it really just stands out. And those are the, the dramatic pieces that I just latched onto when I was young, and they're just in my head. Well, and I got to say, for me, also the comedy that he brings when Ray's first meeting with him. <laughs> oh, you're from the 60s. Quick, go back. Go fast. <laughs> no place for you in the future. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. But I, I wanted to mention one uh, actor in particular, Dwyer Brown, who plays Ray's dad at the end of the film. Mm. He was on another podcast of the Matt Gorley host. It's called I Was There Too, where he right. talks to minor character actors and people who were there for famous films. And so Dwyer Brown, he talked all about his experience with it. And he mentioned like he actually grew up on a farm with cornfields like exactly like that and his dad had just passed away when he got cast in the film so it was like a really meaningful experience for him as well but also he said that they the universal the executives were originally going to release the film direct to video because mm-hmm. they didn't understand it. They just thought it was too Typical ethereal. studios. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just had no idea because they're like, well, how do you market this? What is this movie about? And so luckily, you know, they uh, they took a chance on it and kind of rolled it out slowly and then it got bigger and bigger, you know. But I just thought that was interesting. Like this huge, huge film, I, th- I think cost $15 million to make and I think it made like $84 million wow. or something in the end. I mean, it was it was a very profitable film and obviously a mainstay of many people's video collections, as we've heard here. The real magic of the movie, and this doesn't happen that often, is that it's magical and they don't spend any time trying to explain the magic. That's no, true. it's no, just don't. it's happening. Yep. They it they just accept it and they let it happen. And you see the story that happens because of it. And they don't come up with some contrived like plot device or MacGuffin to be like, oh, this is why all this happened. It, it's just this magical thing. And yeah. at the end, like people can see the magic or they can't. And you kind of just go along with it. And you you get engrossed in the story because after a certain point, you don't care either. You're just like, yes, this is happening. Well, what's crazy, too, is, you know, the ending, again, is kind of ambiguous in terms of there's all these cars lined up coming down on their way to the field, just like Terrence predicted. And it's one of those things where it's kind of like, okay, so, yeah, I guess people came and they paid and they got to keep it. We're going to talk about that, I'm sure, in our sequel pitches. But the idea behind that and the fact that that came true in real life, because the people who owned that field, that land, have kept it. 
and people have been going for the last 30 years. It's like a Mecca for these baseball fans and people who love the film. They go there and have these experiences with their children and with their fathers. And it's like a very, very big deal, apparently. And a lot of the actors return every year as well to participate. So I just thought it was interesting, kind of the uh, life imitating art there that what they predicted in the film that actually did continue to happen. Well, and it's funny about that, Adam, that the which one is that shortly thereafter is that the just like the conflict in the movie, the exact same conflict happened where the farmer that owned the land wasn't gung ho. He was like, hey, do you know how much this land is worth? We have a worthless baseball field. There's no ghost showing up. So we need to plow it under. And the interesting thing was uh, for me, which is going to go into the pitch that I know no one is going to vote for, so I'm just I'm just getting it out there already, <laughs> is it because uh, I'm not going to say it right now, but because the director was actually in favor of bull- bulldozing the field because he said that like this this field isn't magical. That's not the point. This was Ray's field of dream. This isn't your field of dreams. You have your own. Like, go find your own. It's not here. And so he didn't like the idea of the whole Mecca thing. But the, the kind of the sad thing from what I've heard is, is that it became such a thing as your buddy, which that was before we started recording, right? We were talking about Adam's knowledge of baseball right. mostly comes from the Simpsons episode where uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Homer joins the softball team or whatever. Um, and one of the people, Wade Boggs, is on that team. Wade Boggs apparently bought this field and has built a sports complex around it, which, you know, I don't I don't know. I haven't been there. Hopefully it is still like magical and less commercial, but I don't know. So now the other thing too, speaking of the pitches as we're getting ready to get in there, turns out Funny or Die already did a Field of Dreams 2 <laughs> sketch, <laughs> but it had to do with the NFL lockout of a few years ago, and it had Taylor Lautner in the lead role as Ray's son, I guess, and basically, I didn't think it was that funny, but then again, I'm not a sports fan, so maybe I didn't get it. Exactly, exactly. but to throw in a couple of more, uh, two of the things that I thought was interesting was one because of the shooting schedule is that they needed if you watch like especially at the beginning of the the film the corn goes through kind of like the seasons however that wasn't the way they were shooting and so they needed the corn to be growing at a certain rate Uh, but apparently corn grows because of the nitrates from the rain that come out of the sky so if you try and grow corn with like sprinklers, it doesn't grow the same. So apparently when they first went to go shoot, they just had nothing but little nubby corn things like they were only like shoe top high. And they're like, well, we Hold can't on. shoot is, like is, this. Is nubby corn things the technical? <laughs> it is. It's technical. It's, a, it's a, from my years of farming. That's a new That's snack from Frito-Lay, nubby corn things. Right. And so then apparently they watered it like crazy, but with sprinklers. And when they came back, they had these huge big stalks of corn but no actual corn in them so if you look really closely you're not going to see any ears of corn and then for that one scene where reyes actually hears the voice it was so high that apparently they had to build like a ramp or like a platform for him to walk in so you could actually see him because the corn was too high over his head so i thought that was kind of interesting and then of course with the low-tech 1989 that they had is the final shot of all of the cars that are heading in from Iowa City. 
they didn't have the technology to make it look like they were moving and it was so long and so crowded that instead what they did is they had the first couple of cars actually drive and apparently everybody else, they just told them to blink their headlights on and off to make it look like the cars are actually moving, which for me, it looks like they're moving, but right, it's just funny. Right. These guys in, you know, hundreds of cars all blink in their headlights in, uh, in succession. Practical filmmaking. Hurrah. Yep. Yeah. Well, by the way, Jeff, fun fact. My family actually owned a corn farm for a long time. What? <laughs> really? What yeah. do they call little nubby corn? <laughs> Not little nubby corn things. True story. My family had a corn farm for a very long time. I've been out there. I've actually walked through the corn. So hey. no voices. Hey, you've been no voices. to the cornfield. And we didn't put LSD in ours. Although if we had, we might have been able to sell it for a lot exactly. more. Exactly. That might have helped. Well, let's get to the business here. And Jeff? The context, which I have already provided, is that I'm with the director, is that I feel like Ray and Annie uh, their story ended and it, it ended perfectly and that was their field of dreams so a sequel would have to not have to do with them at all or a field or, or anything like that so for me the way that I actually pictured it which hearkening back to a, a previous Kevin Costner pitch of mine is that I would pitch this one as a mini series called Dreams I guess so every episode you would have a different person with a different conflict and a different medium that would encounter the voice that would lead them on that path towards their, again, not field, I mean, metaphorical, I guess, or the resolution to their conflict through that medium. So for example, the four that I thought of uh, was Donald, Rachel, Albert, and Ross would be my first four episodes. And Donald would be a factory worker in Utah who loses his job. And on the drive home, he hears the voice. And the voice kind of, I, I hadn't quite figured out like, cause I wouldn't want, I'd want to go beyond just the ease his pain, go the distance thing. So the voice would say different things, but the same thing with that whisper. And then for Donald, we would find out that I was thinking his medium would be music and his conflict would be like racial biases. And so that he had this like deep seated, my thought was it would be kind of like uh, Matt Dillon's character was in Crash where like his dad had lost his job because of affirmative action. And so he had kind of like these deep seated racial kind of divides. And so for him, it would be that thought of like, maybe he loses his job over affirmative action. And so he actually holds it against, you know, various races or something like that. And so that's the, the thing through music. Music is kind of that key that gets him to that resolution. Uh, and then Rachel, on the other hand, which Rachel I would see being a stewardess who lives in Chicago, I would assume. And she is really struggling with her own view of self-worth through her appearance and everything like that. Uh, and then I didn't quite have down what her medium would be, but same sort of a thing where she would hear the voice and through a different medium than she would be get that resolution. Albert was going to be like a waiter in New York, kind of a younger guy, and he was going to be struggling with fear. And then Ross was going to be a uh, like a construction worker that was going to be working in like somewhere in the South, and he was going to be struggling with anger. Uh, and so then that same thought is that again, each episode or each miniseries segment would be a different thing that the voice, yeah, comes into each one of these lives and the end of every episode would have them 
finding that resolution in their field of dream. Now, Jeff, I don't know if you caught this, but you kind of disappointed me. You had Ross and Rachel in this. <laughs> and that was accidental. Friends crossover. Uh, you could have won some make... points there. No, that would have. <laughs> defeated the point although we have been watching friends episodes so that might be on my brain but that's why albert donald had nothing to do with anything those aren't about baseball at all no no and neither and neither is field of dreams i knew you were gonna say that Ah, eric (laughs) give us your pitch my friend oh i'm gonna be really disappointing i worked 13 hours today and i got nothing I was like, well, if I come into this show, I should have a pitch. But, like, I've been grading math tests all day, and I have nothing. And the only thing I could think of was, I I think my favorite baseball movie of all is The League of Their Own. I just love that movie so much. And I feel like there's a way, like, if you were to sequel this, and I I totally agree where Jeff is going with that, because I, I, I see that, and we already talked about it, how baseball is not, it's not a baseball movie, it's a life movie, exploring their past mistakes and righting wrongs and all that good life human stuff. And I wanted to keep it still baseball, but I wanted to move on from the farm, but I didn't know how. And I was just kind of thinking, like, the way Jeff put it in before, he was like, the ending of this movie is so perfect. And I was thinking, how the heck... <laughs> Like, where do you go from there? Because I, I agree. It's like such a good ending of a movie that I don't I don't know what to do with it. So I was the only thing that the only thing that came to mind was they have a daughter and it's been what, like 20, 30 years? 30 How long years has it been? Oh day. my God, I'm old. So it's been like 30 years since that movie came out. 28, something like that. Right. And um, like that, I was thinking like the daughter would be the one running the field. Uh, what's her name? Karen, the girl, the hot dog choker. They do not sell hot dogs at that field anymore. Um, but um, that she would have like taken over operation of the field. Now, I guess how old is Kevin Costner now? Like, is he in his sixties? Sixties, fifties, sixties. So I, I figured like she would be like doing day to day operations and maybe seeing it turn into like this commercial thing, like you were talking about before, and like not have that magic still going. Like somehow it's gone wrong, but I, I couldn't mm. come up with a like how like commercialized or like you know come see the ghost Black Sox men with Pepsi, you know. <laughs> like, oh no! And then oh. one day the Black Sox stop showing up, mm. and and then it's just this woman in like a Rockford Peaches kind of like you know like the <laughs> the um, All American Women's Baseball Association and the one I always remember in League of Their Own one of my favorite scenes is like this little scene where they do a little nod to the fact that like only white people were playing like only white women were playing oh, yeah. and they're playing they're like warming up and the ball goes past and the the um, black woman picks it up and the Gene Davis is like, Oh here. And then she, th- she like hucks a dart, like all the way across the field to the, and they, they like, they give each other like the respectful nod. And that's all they really acknowledged of it. And I always thought like, Oh, that's nice. But I bet there's a story there and I don't know where to go with it, but I figured there could be some kind of connection where one of the most impactful scenes for me in the, in field of dreams is when the doctor has to make the decision to leave the field yeah. and save the daughter. And then he walks off into the corn. I don't know. They could like, there could be a story be, beyond with the the women's baseball league i did not come up with anything further than that that's as far as my brain got as i was grading math tests today wow, so that's pretty strong i don't <laughs> know that's all i've got right. for you. 
Oh, and now okay. I'm on record for turning two boys' movies into girls' movies. <laughs> and I'm yeah. totally down with that. Good for you. Yeah. So that's what I did with the Mighty Ducks, too. Yeah. <laughs> Come on back and listen to that one. It was excellent. Well, so here's the thing for me. I was blessed with so many ideas and uh, going so many diff- different directions. And I, I had to settle on one, but I thought I'd give you a quick snippet into two of my other ones. The first, we were going to call it Playing the field of dreams and it was a reboot of xanadu but as a drama (laughs) no doubt and uh we would take the supernatural element of muses was removed instead it would focus on a schizophrenic drug addict named sunny who hears a voice telling him to build a roller skating nightclub but it turns out to be a success and the whole process helps him turn his life around how did you turn this into xanadu (laughs) Somehow not surprised. Not going to work. I said, you know what? That's too far off. You know, it's not about baseball, but this is too far off. Let's bring it back to sports. So then I came up with Field of Dreams 2, sidelined. And it's about a middle-aged man who's traumatized by the shame of his father's legacy of steroid abuse in the NFL, but ends up moving back to the family orange orchard where he builds a football field that allows his dad and other shamed athletes to come back and play with their natural abilities and show what they were made of. But then I said, that's just, that's what, that's a requel. That's where you're just taking Mm. the same film and basically redoing it. So I said, that's not going to work. So I give you instead Field of Dreams 2, It's a Good Life. It's been 30 years since the amazing events at the Kinsella Farm led to ancient baseball stars of the past returning to play baseball and fulfill many people's dreams. But the magic mysteriously stopped one year later and the diamond was converted back to cornfields. One night, a frantic Terrence man returns from the cornfield, revealing to Ray and his daughter Karen that what he found was not heaven. Instead, it was a limbo where malformed souls were trapped by an evil <laughs> being who still walks the earth. Wow. Man oh, that drops dead and disappears. <laughs> oh, but they man. find a few of his writings scribbled on a notebook in his pocket, featuring a list of names. Ray and Karen team up to find this being who's responsible for banishing people to the cornfield for decades by visiting the families of the lost souls and finding their way back to this cruel creature of the Many are resistant to even discuss the matter, but they find a few grieving souls with loose lips. As revealed by the daughter of one Dan Hollis, this tyrant turns out to be a bump farm adjacent to the Kinsellas named Anthony Fremont, who as a child held his family in terror of his supernatural abilities to warp reality with a thought, as determined by his childish whims. He often banished his most terrifying creations to the cornfield. Ray and Anthony reunite, with Ray claiming he never saw Anthony as anything but a friend before his family moved away from Ohio to their Iowa farm. So he was unaware of the incidents that started just one year later in Anthony's life. Since then, Anthony has gone through therapy to suppress these powers after a nasty incident in 1990 that led to half the town disappearing to the cornfield. He doesn't know what they're talking about. He just, quote, used to have some problems. Ray and Karen press Anthony to the point of relapse, which causes him to involuntarily transfer all three of them to this cornfield hellscape. Seeing the horrors he has caused, Anthony has a mental break, especially after seeing his old neighbor, Dan Hollis, and reverts to his six-year-old self, 
the petulant child starts throwing tantrums, saying he's a bad boy, which leads to the surrounding area outside of the field being turned into a twisted reality where Karen is mortally wounded. In a panic, Ray tries to convince the child, Anthony, that he's not a bad boy, but he did a good thing when he let Ray have one last catch with his father, and that it meant the world to him. This causes Anthony to calm down, revert to his adult form, and weeping, he reveals that Ray was the only true friend he ever had that wasn't forced to be nice to him out of fear. After restoring Karen to health, Anthony destroys himself, causing hundreds of people to wander out from the cornfield, many being reunited with their family members. And then a familiar theme plays over. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wait, was that the Friends theme that you what just said? was? If you didn't catch that, that was a mashup of an episode of The Twilight Zone called It's a Good Life, starring Bill Mubby, where he was a boy who had the power to uh, do anything. Does he like the hamburgers with peanut butter on it? I don't recall this. That's like How... the only part of that episode I remember. I'll, I'll have to go back and see if I remember that part. I just remember the guy getting turned into a jack-in-the-box, which also was later parodied on The Simpsons. So there you go, Jeff. Everything I know I'll came from The Simpsons. The Simpsons. So but wait, yeah. Adam, did you watch Field of Dreams? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was a horror movie. I don't understand uh, why you when would... you when I I knew it had really taken a turn when you uttered the phrase the corn hellscape. hellscape yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's you know you, you got to take these things in a different direction. You can't just that go is... back to the same old formula. Can I vote for the Xanadu one? <laughs> <laughs> That was pretty stellar. Well, we'll see where it goes. All right. Well, there are three bases to fill in baseball, and we're going to bring it home. You guys like that? (laughs) I guess that's kind of true because there are like three bases and a plate. I mean, do you call it home base or home plate? Oh, there you go. We could discuss that for the next hour. (laughs) Somebody should have made that the focus of a pitch. All right. Dang it. <laughs> so, all right. With that, then, Jeff, who do you vote for? Well, uh, I, I just, I, I'm having real difficulty wrapping my mind around Field of Dreams 2 Hellraiser. It just doesn't <laughs> quite, again, like Eric mentioned before, the, the phrase, corn I, I just, yeah, the corn hellscape, I, I just can't, yeah. <laughs> So I'm going to have to go with with Eric's idea. League of their own. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that movie's already been made. Wait a minute. <laughs> All right. How about you, Eric? I'm holding out hope here. <laughs> <laughs> you got such a kick out of the phrase. <laughs> Is it the phrase I that did. I, phrase Well, I it's pays. it's honestly it's tacky to vote for your own. I mean, Come on, you only do that in politics. So I'm I'm really pulled towards that Xanadu thing, but uh, I'm going with Jeff's just because I just wish it were a little more sports related. You could tie in like a couple of sports to each person, but sure, we'll go with that one because I can't vote for myself. And yours uh. was just crazy. I mean, <laughs> crazy entertaining, baby. Again, well. I'm I'm gonna repeat. Did you watch Field of Dreams? <laughs> It was a whole different experience for me. Clearly, clearly. I, at least I didn't call it Field of Nightmares. I didn't give it away up top. That's true. Field of Hellscape. Yeah. <laughs> 
So the pitch that's getting my vote gets a vote because it wasn't completely formed. But it turns out both of them were not completely formed. Sure. It just means that Jeff's was so vague that I, I didn't feel like <laughs> there was an, enough for me to grab onto. And I, I kind of said, okay, you know, we got Ross and Rachel, not from Friends. We got Albert's Angry. We got other guy. What was the other one, Jeff? <laughs> Oscar? Donald. Was Donald, right? And uh, so, but as I remember names almost uh, and, and very little else. So for me, I was just like, ah, like I like the miniseries idea to feel the dreams of TV series. But then I thought of Eric's and I was like, I also love a league of their own. And I also feel like there is a story to be told there, especially in our climate of being woke and in this whole existence that we're living, you know, in a world where black Panther was really pretty much, let's just call it the greatest standalone movie in terms of box office. I mean, it was just a phenomenon. So I feel like there's a story we could dig into there. So Eric also gets my vote. It is the winner. Hey! Two for two! Hey! Oh, <laughs> we should be a regular and make yeah. money. Wait, we don't have sponsors. No, no we're still, still waiting. Do. We're still waiting. I really so... want to hawk a Casper mattress. <laughs> well, we I, we I, almost I did... had an audible, but uh, Jeremy ruined that one for us. So. <laughs> oh, just like you ruined this podcast. <laughs> Jeremy, come back from the cornfield. Wait, did he thought... step away to save a girl from choking on a hot dog? Yeah, that's what it is. And he, yeah, he crossed the man. foul line. Yep. 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 You were good. And you see, just took his graceful exit. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so, but. You're the. This is what I got out of your pitch, Eric, and uh, there might be a hellscape in there, so please be prepared. No, um, I'm always. I teach middle school. I'm always prepared for a hellscape. <laughs> but the idea that I got was essentially this could be a situation where there's the women who did not get to play in the All American Women's Baseball Association. Am I getting that correct? But they didn't get their time because they were African American would get their moment to shine through mystical means. So the premise is there, but how do you get to that point? So who is our protagonist and what is their situation that connects them to that world? Now, Jeff had mentioned having a character who was racially insensitive that would somehow grow through music, I don't know if we want this again because the original Field of Dreams, Jeff said, was not a learning situation per se, but it was a penance for somebody. Would we want this to be about someone who is in that situation or do we want someone who is experiencing that firsthand and then gets to create the scenario where it's great women of the past who never got their moment can have their moment? Hmm. I just thought of this. Who knows? Kevin Costner's daughter runs the field, you know, and we could kind of start off with that whole monetization thing or not even worry about that. But it's the daughter that's running it and the people come to see and everybody who comes to see sees the Black Sox. And then this one woman comes to see and she doesn't see them. Either they stop coming altogether or she is the only one who sees something different. And that could be she could be the person who is the like the main character that has this story to tell. 
So I it's like not that. really being run through. So it is somebody else's field of dreams and it's not because the Kinsella story has been t- told, you know, so you yeah. can kind of connect it and kind of see how like there could be like a, you know, like a B story about them trying to get back to the roots of what they were trying to do of why they built the field in the first place. Yeah. And then this woman can kind of start her own journey with who she's seeing in the field. I do think it would be hilarious, almost in a Jurassic World sort of way, that this has been going on for 30 years now, and people are bored with dead baseball players coming back, and they they come start making demands, and they start, you know what I'm saying, like, we want this, where's Babe Ruth? How come Babe Ruth never comes to your field? That kind of jerky people, so yeah, like the Kinsellas are losing their excitement about it, and then all the players that come, the Black Sox and whoever else there were. Uh, I would like to point out Adam is that a hilarious situation is not really what we're going for with Field of Dreams. Well, obnoxious. Like there, there's a little <laughs> bit of humor to it, but it's not like a jokey film. I'm just saying that's what yeah, happened to Jeff, it. Jeff, you gotta give him this one. He he pitched <laughs> Xanadu. <laughs> that's true. That's true. He gave and that up. Corn Hellscape. Yep, yep. See what you missed, Jeremy? He's made strides already. He's made strides. So I like that, though, because I think that's great. Like you said, that could be like a B story in the background is, yeah, they're not so excited about it anymore because it's become this commercial thing. And But I love that idea that, yeah, because that's what it is. We talk about representation, right? So this, and it should be like a little girl comes and, and kids have always been able to see it. And then this little girl can't see it because there's nobody out there that represents her. She doesn't, she's told there's a bunch of old, baseball guys playing and then she she loves playing baseball herself or whatever maybe she's more like a young woman she's not a you know a little girl well and the 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 two parts that i would say that because one i would say that i feel like then the commercialization of the field i think will detract from that story because then one it either cheapens the field or two we want to see that have its own reconciliation. And my thought is, why don't we focus instead on that story? That seems like enough, you know, you don't have to have an A and a B. But the other tough thing is, is that if it is, you know, like we kind of, Eric had said before, if it is a girl who is also black, like, I don't know that there are historical female black, like there hasn't been a female black league for to to have that like that's, that's there's just the kind point. of not that's the point that, right but you're so saying then, there was no negro league for women no i don't think so no not that i know of okay. was so that's the point to say like here's a historical say, say the four white guys <laughs> right well, that's true too. uh but yeah i don't think that there are historical like oh all the great black female you know baseball players from back in the day i don't think they were even allowed to play. What if instead, because this is something I know like that Judy has talked about, like with hidden figures and with all of these stories that are coming out now about all of these, not only women, but even black women that in history have done amazing things that their stories were just not told because it wasn't appropriate or whatever, is that what if instead of like baseball is what starts it off and like her field of dreams is maybe not baseball in the end. So it's not about I want to play baseball, but it's like none of these people are like me. And then instead, like maybe the the what's her name from from NASA and yeah, all of these famous black historical figures could be what she encounters somehow. 
Now, is she going to hear the voice? Because I like that. I think that's a great point that maybe she's there. And yeah, and that's the kickoff to a journey for her. So, but is she going to hear the voice and it's telling her to go, you know, to a certain place and then she's going to be able to meet people nowadays that could give her some guidance. And then what is her focus? You know, what is her dream? What what do we want to say that is then? Family story for her? Is it going to be a career achievement? Is it going to be an artistic achievement? Eric, thoughts? Dear baby. Like, well, <laughs> started as your baby. The original Field of Dreams was a personal thing. So kind of keeping it to that. I like it being about a sport. If she's going to the Field of Dreams to see these players and she's seeing some kind of ghost through the corn, I don't think it would be like the hidden figures lady that would show you. Know, it's like, right, right, right. Right. So it's. I feel like there's got to be some kind of baseball connection, but I haven't done enough research or really because I just thought of it today, but some kind of baseball connection with yeah. people who were marginalized in the past of not being able to play. That's kind of where my brain goes with yeah, it. Yeah, and maybe that's it. Maybe it's not because, again, I don't – so it's not a specifically like here are black women that have played baseball, but here are you know black men that have played baseball. Here are women that have played baseball. Here are Japanese people. Like all these people that, like you said, Eric, are marginalized in different ways that you know it took – how many years for them to actually have, you know, like a, a Mexican born uh, player be a big deal? Like, yeah, it's it's the color barriers or whatever could be an, uh, an interesting dynamic, I think. And so, but I mean, would it be that she is then in this case, maybe, you know, she has to travel to bring somebody to this field so they can recognize that so they can have a moment for themselves because again maybe you know she does have whatever her conflict is she's trying to resolve it's just my concern is that like that is a good premise but is is it a retread too much to say okay now the only difference is it's you know race reversal like is it still going to follow the same pattern is she going to drive out find somebody bring them back to the field they get to see the magic of it all and find fulfillment and then she's waiting till the very end to have her moment. Mm. Is that the basic structure or is it going to take a different direction? Because, I mean, I, I like I like the idea, like Eric is saying, that it's these marginalized people. But what is that personally to her? Has she what has she been excluded from or what has she been unsure about? Because it's that tough part, whereas with Ray, he had this this like guilt and this this disconnect that he like that was what was inside of him. Whereas for uh, for this this in this case, it's not as much of a like I did something wrong that I want to make amends for. And it's more that like I feel like it's more of like a I could never do this or I could never like I'm not the same as these people or I, you know, something like that. I feel like it's more of a, of a worthiness or connection that that would be the, the, the path that she goes down. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Rather than this is something I need to make up for. Yeah. I, mean, I, I guess that's what I, I mean, going back to your pitch, Jeff, just the idea of, you know, somebody's dealing with fear, somebody's dealing with anger, somebody's dealing with those types of things. I mean, it sounds like this might lean a little bit more towards, like you said, like there's kind of a maybe a fear of failure because and I, I was almost thinking maybe she was like some sort of prodigy or she was like exceptionally smart, 
got accepted to like a medical program or something like that, but she backed down because she would, you know, maybe had another issue that made her scared. She's like, if I fail and there's so many eyes on me and there's so many people paying attention to me, if I fail, I'm going to be a failure, not just for myself, but other girls who would aspire to have the opportunity I've had or something like that. So it, it's kind of that more of a scenario for her where she could be doing something outstanding and she has backed away from it because of fear. Like she is essentially learning to be an inspiration from people who wish they could have been given an opportunity to break through a barrier and just never got their chance type thing. I like it. <laughs> all right I, I think it's a good it's a good vehicle to try to tell a story that hasn't been told i just don't know what that story is you know <laughs> right. like i'm flying back from my brother's wedding on the plane i watched hidden figures and i'm like at the end of that movie i'm like crying in the plane <laughs> and i was like this is such a good story this is such an amazing thing i was like why did it take so long for us to know this happened or that for like this to be such a mainstream thing because it's such an amazing story and oh other kevin kevin costner movie by the way um, oh yeah but um i just i don't know enough i'm not enough of a history buff to really know like what other stories that are out there to be told that could fit but yeah. I feel like it's worth finding one, you know? Yeah. Well, and even baseball-wise, just to connect this with, again, like the story, which we have heard, especially as baseball fans, you know, you hear the story of Jackie Robinson. You hear the story about, you know, League of Their Own and the Women's Baseball League. Uh, even the story of, like, Fernando Valenzuela and, like, you know, growing up in dirt floors in Mexico and then making it, like, these kids growing up in the Dominican. Like, there's a lot of these sort of stories and to even like I was even thinking this could be a black girl that was adopted by white parents. So maybe it's kind of it's even furthering that disconnect where it's kind of like these people all look like you, but I don't. And then so there is there's just that certain level of, you know, the reality is, is that, yeah, I don't look like all of these people. And if you're telling me I can do anything, I don't see it. Well, what could be interesting is it could actually start with a flashback where like it is like the early nineties and they go to the field and yeah, like her epiphany doesn't happen as an adult. She sees it as, as a kid and then she, but that damages her dreams more than it helps, mm. you know? So it's speaking to that very directly that, that she sees that and she's just like, you know, where do I find my place in this? Yeah. In this world that I, you know, I'm grateful to have parents, but at the same time, you know, do I really relate to them and, and all those things? What about, and I don't know if this would totally derail it, but what about having kind of like two parallel stories going on at the same time where you have this story and then what if we go back to that original premise that Eric was talking about that Karen is, is taking over the farm and she now runs it, but now that the, you know, it's been going on for 30 years and maybe it's become commercial, maybe something somewhere along the lines like, Karen is now no longer able to see the players either. And so it's kind of this thing, like maybe they've, they've each got their own journeys that are kind of paralleling one another and mm -hmm. that they could kind of have the resolution kind of like wraps up together, or maybe they're, they're, they're each other's resolution somehow. I don't know. That was that thought that came in just because that's how we started it all. 
I can, I can see that. I mean, again, yeah, just adding an extra bit of texture to the story. Yeah, that, that there's that struggle. Like, Karen grew up seeing everybody come to this field and their dreams were fulfilled. And then she got put in charge of it or something. She never got to kind of embark on her own. Like, it it was magical, it was special. But, like, just to the director's point, like you said, Jeff... That's not everybody's field dreams. So where was hers? And she never got to leave. And maybe the other girl, again, saw it when she was a kid and then was kind of discouraged or whatever and is has constantly been searching and trying to find out what her dream is and has never been able to decide. And maybe they kind of meet in the middle at some point and are, again, able to figure that out together. And maybe it turns out they have a shared dream and vision that they then bring to life. And again, but then in that case, you, maybe they do happen to run into these impressive women. Again, maybe they do. there is a little time travel element for them. And we would have to do a little bit more research on that, as we've all said, you know, but just going into these unsung heroes that people haven't heard of and never got their moment. And then now they're inspired. Mm. Look, folks, we could have had a hellscape. We went this way. <laughs> we could have had hellscape corn Xanadu. Yeah, Amen, we could have been bro. pitching roller skating With... demons and oh, corn on yeah. fire. Instead, we're getting all all gushy and all uh, sentimental on you. But oh, hopefully you're excited. So, you Adam, I'm, yes. I'm going to try this one more time. <laughs> You've seen the movie, right? That is correct. Okay. okay. I believe there was a disco the, ball uh, in one scene. The VHS yeah. jacket, and you were like, "Yeah, this looks like Hellscape Corn." <laughs> well, he looks. He looks like he maybe does a little river dance if you look at his pose. So it's very possible, you know, that I there there's a dance sequence of this. You know, that's that's we find out what happened to Ray Kinsella. He got on the circuit, started uh, being Michael Flatley's understudy. Michael <laughs> Flatley. Yeah. Wow. That's hey, bringing it back. Right there. <laughs> a... You can forget the Lord of the Dance. No one should forget the Lord of the Dance. Nor should they forget Field of Dreams 2. That movie about girls. We'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great premise. <laughs> the greatest like tagline ever. Tag that line. movie about girls. I'm just saying, like, it almost feels like you need to take go away, Eric. Come back next week and we'll just tag on your completed pitch. Now that we've got this, you just work out the details. You'll all, you'll do some research in the school library and we'll know who needs to make cameos in this film. Are you giving me homework? I sure <laughs> am. The tables oh, have been turned. No. I already told you I don't turned. even collect homework anymore. You're being it's assessed real. as unprepared. Dude, you watch out. Eric will slash your tires from what I hear. Oh, uh, oh gosh. Uh, you had to be there, folks. All right. Uh, they were there, weren't they? I mean, well, I don't know how they much haven't gone anywhere. Yeah, in case you didn't know, we had a, a hiatus where we were waiting for Jeremy to return, and we talked for about 20 minutes all over the place. Maybe a bonus episode for you down the line. If you really want it, subscribe to our Patreon feed that does not exist. <laughs> Just send your funds through PayPal to sequelquestpod at gmail.com. We'll set up an account that you can get that bonus episode. Jeremy, you'll be first in line. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
Oh, but Eric, thanks for coming back, talking yeah. baseball. <laughs> question mark. <laughs> well, this is it's like this how is every good. kid ever answers a question in my class. Um, the answer is seven. <laughs> <laughs> Rectangle. Uh. We will be back soon. The summer is just kicking off with some new episodes coming. We got some sequel chats going to be going to see Solo. And we're actually bringing back our Star Wars guru, Garen. We'll be back to give his review along with Jeremy and Colton on that that episode. Uh, Also, another sports-related film. This one, a cult classic. So we're going to give you some time to dig it up if you can. But we are going to be coming back, uh, do a sequel to Rad. That's right, the 80s BMX film. Going to bring back another former guest host from our Monster Squad episode, Sean Robert. He's a mega fan of Rad. Turns out Jeff has a history as well. So we'll get into that on the episode. But uh, many more to come as well. Down the line, I'll just tell you, coming up Halloween, we already had someone who wants to talk about a sequel to Spaced Invaders, a Firefly, a Serenity 2, so many more. Uh, so we're not promising them right away, but these are in the works. And we, uh, we can't wait to talk to you again through your ear holes. That's right, the way podcasts were intended. And now bringing us back, reminding us about the importance of baseball, it's James Earl Jeremy. People will come, Ray. The one constant through all the years has been baseball. This field, this game, it's a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good and could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come to the cornfield hellscape. Thanks for listening. <laughs> but don't shh. Yeah. Do. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was. Share your ideas with the Sequel Quest universe by visiting SequelQuestPod.com, following us on Twitter at SQPod, on Facebook by searching Sequel Quest, or sending an email to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com. Let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five-star rating on iTunes. All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. 